when he gets mad about something somebody said about him in his office and makes a radical shift based on his personal peak, that's not acting in a competent way as my attorney. Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zappala made headlines last week when an email surfaced showing that he had urged prosecutors in his office to punish the clients of one of his critics. Legal experts say he could face ethics charges. We'll also explore how the relationship between the mayor's office and the Pittsburgh Public School Board could change under a Ganey administration. I think the relationship needs to be one where we are willing to talk back and forth about our challenges and our opportunities. Plus, we'll look at challenges with Pennsylvania's new unemployment system that rolled out this week. It's Friday, June 11th, and this is Pittsburgh Explainer. I'm your host, Liz Reed. First up, WESA's Anli Herring is here to walk us through the latest with District Attorney Zapala. Hi, Anli. Hey, Liz. For listeners who haven't followed every twist and turn, can you bring us up to speed on what happened last week? Yeah, it all started last Wednesday with a story in the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Court reporter Paula Reed Ward had learned of an email that District Attorney Zapala sent to prosecutors in his office last month. And it told them not to offer plea deals to clients of a black attorney named Milton Rayford. Uh, now, I think it's important to call out that that is a, a remarkable directive, given that criminal defendants often choose to plead guilty in exchange for a lighter sentence or to avoid jail time altogether. What prompted Zapala to take such an extraordinary step were comments Rayford made during a court hearing days earlier. Rayford called the DA's office and the criminal justice system, in his words, systematically racist. And when the the trip reported on all of this, there was widespread outrage among attorneys, elected officials and activists. Some demanded that Zapala resign. Uh, there have been calls for an ethics investigation by a state disciplinary board for lawyers and even a criminal investigation by the attorney general. The argument basically being that Zapala abused his power to retaliate against a foe in such a way that denies justice to people charged with crimes simply because of who their lawyer is. Zapala responded the day after the Trib story broke. In a statement, he gave a few reasons as to why he felt his actions were justified. He said when Rayford called the DA's office racist, he falsely characterized, Rayford falsely characterized prior plea deals the office had made as discriminatory against black defendants. And uh, Zapala says Rayford pledged not to accept any of the DA's plea offers in the future. So Zapala says his denial of plea deals to Rayford's clients was his effort to shield his office from false allegations of racism. And he said the policy seemed to be what Rayford had been asking for. That's right. Okay, so that's everything that happened last week. Now, this week, Zapala put out a new policy to all the attorneys in the DA's office, um, which seemed to walk back um, some of what he'd said last week. Can you tell us about that policy? Yeah. So on Monday, the DA's office released a memo that 
Zapala had sent to his staff the day before, effectively um, rescinding his plea offer rule against Rayford. The, the memo didn't mention Rayford specifically, but it did establish a new policy for investigating claims of discrimination made by any defendant or their attorney, the, the implication being that Rayford and everyone else on the defense side of a case will be treated in the same way on, on the issue that Rayford had raised when he called the office and its plea offers racist. Now, Zapala hasn't apologized. Um, he's most certainly not heeding calls to step down. And his most vocal critics are not satisfied with the new policy he announced Monday. Local state rep Emily Kincaid, who's been one of the most uh, outspoken people on this whole issue, says that Zapala's move Monday puts the onus on defense attorneys to initiate investigations into possible racial um, or other forms of bias when she says it's uh, something the DA's office should be leading. She says that office is privy to information on all the cases it tries. So, so essentially the idea is that it's hard from the defense bar to glean what the overall patterns might be when it comes to plea bargaining practices in the DA's office. And, and a lot of that data just is not publicly available. And since last week, a number of people have said Zapala should not have lashed out at Rayford, but he should have ordered a study to see if there are racial disparities and how his office negotiates plea deals. You've talked with legal experts about this. I mean, what have they had to say? What kind of disciplinary action could Zapala face? There seems to be quite a consensus that Zapala could be charged with ethics violations. Uh, some say that he did not fulfill his duty to provide competent and diligent representation to serve the interests of the people of Allegheny County who elected him DA. Um, and that could be considered a violation of uh, the professional code of ethics within um, the, the legal profession. Others come at it kind of from the, the other side saying that Zapala's actions interfered with the fair administration of justice. Basically, how you would pursue such charges is um, any member of the public can file a complaint with the state Supreme Court's disciplinary board, or that board actually could launch its own investigation into the situation. Uh, either way, any probe isn't made public, by the board at least, other parties I guess could, could uh, reveal that it's happening until they hand down some sort of sanction. And that could be in the form of a public reprimand. There are private sanctions that we might not learn about, although we could still learn about the complaints. Um, and there, there are even more severe punishments, including suspension of the attorney's law license um, and just outright disbarment. That Those latter two punishments seem unlikely in this case. The board rarely hands down that severe of a punishment. An interesting thing to note about this board is that its chief disciplinary counsel, who essentially oversees all of the board's work, his name is Tom Farrell, and he has made allegations of prosecutorial misconduct uh, more of a priority 
at the board. So he's been examining those types of accusations more closely. And in this instance, we do have charges of prosecutorial misconduct. Is there any sense of of when an investigation could happen, how long it would take, and, and when disciplinary action would be handed down if it is? Typically, my understanding is that these investigations last months. I'm not sure, though, in this case, how much of an investigation is needed, given that Zapala's email and the transcript of Rayford's remarks are both public. Um, so it seems like the, the key evidence is out there. But you you would assume that the board would also engage the various parties and want to learn more about the context and the whole situation. So months is probably the best answer I can give you right now. It being uh, confidential while the investigation is in process, if it's even taking place at all, we don't know, um, makes it kind of hard for me to give a, a really clear answer on that. On Lee, thanks so much for your reporting. Yeah, thank you. We'll be back with more after a quick break. Why does it get hot during the summer? What are clouds made of? Do we sneeze in our sleep? If you have a curious kid who likes to stump you with queries, let the Confluence answer the questions for you. WESA is looking for any and all questions from the kiddos in your life. From the bugs crawling on the sidewalk to the stars in our galaxy, there's no question too big or too small. Send your questions to confluence at wesa.fm. Now to the mayor's office, where Pittsburgh Public School Board members say they hope to find an ally in Democrat Ed Ganey if he's elected in November. WESA's Sarah Schneider is here to explain more. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Liz. What does the school board hope changes if and when Ganey becomes mayor? Sure. So board members, including three newly elected directors, say that they want better communication with the mayor's office. They want to form a partnership because in Pittsburgh, the city does not have direct oversight over the school district. And they also want some money back. So um, to explain that, you know, in 2004, the city was financially distressed. And so the state redistributed some income taxes. So now a percentage of money that used to go to the schools goes to the city. It's about $20 million annually. And so board members say now that the city's in a better financial situation, those tax dollars should go back to the district. So, um, uh, you know, Ed Ganey and Superintendent Anthony Hamlet haven't had this conversation yet, though they both have told me that they plan to meet soon. How would this switch in where the tax dollars are going? Um, How do these school board members hope this would benefit the district? So the board last year considered raising property taxes. Um, It has the authority to do so as a taxing body, but the board held off saying that the district hadn't tapped into all of its resources and the district is now in debt. It's about $35 million in debt. And so the board members are hoping that that money will help chip away at that debt. And it's also important to note that the district has about $100 million in federal money coming in from the American Rescue Plan. So The district has said that there will be a public input process for that money. Um, It does have some spending limitations. And so those meetings are supposed to happen this summer. But largely, the the school board says, you know, it's it's our money. We want it back. It's only fair. So that's that's what I've heard repeatedly. So you noted that Ed Ganey and Superintendent Anthony Hamlet have not discussed this to your knowledge, or at least have not publicly talked about any discussions um, to that effect. Why do do these new school board members think um, that Ganey would be receptive to this change? 
Right. Well, it's still early, but they say, you know, at least he's talking to us. You know, he has a relationship with some board members. Pam Harbin is a board member who um, campaigned for Ed Ganey. And so these board members are optimistic that he'll at least hear them. And, you know, Ganey has said that it is too early to comment on the, those funds, but he um, wants to do what he can to make the district the first choice for families. And um, that includes, you know, making sure it's not in debt because enrollment is shrinking and there is a concern about what that means for the vitality of the city. What's the relationship between the school board and Mayor Peduto been like in the past? So Peduto has said that it took two years just to meet with Dr. Hamlet. Um, when Hamlet was hired in 2016, the Post-Gazette had found that he exaggerated data in his resume and plagiarized in a cover letter. And the city really split and took sides, and Peduto was critical of Hamlet and the board's decision to go ahead and hire him after those discoveries. And that criticism has really carried over for the last four years. Um, in November 2019, Peduto called for state takeover of the district finances, saying it should have been able to balance its budget with the money it had and that it was spending unnecessarily and that the district shouldn't be in debt. So Pittsburgh residents pay a lot of money for the public school system, more than almost any suburban district, but outcomes in this district are overall poorer in um, the city schools than in suburban schools. So the district responded at the time saying there wasn't an issue with any of the audits um, that have been performed on PPS, but you know, so far the district also hasn't really been able to explain why the budget continues to grow as enrollment shrinks. And so there's a long history of tension between the district and the mayor's office, but a lot of it has um, come down to money. I want to go back to something you mentioned at the top, which is that particularly the new members of the school board are hoping that the, the district can work more closely with the city. And you noted that the city has no control over the district. What might a partnership like that look like? Like, has anyone talked to you about that? Yeah, and it's kind of all over the place of what, you know, they envision this partnership to look like, but but mostly it's just that we're on the same page and that we're communicating and we know um, what our goals are, and so it seems pretty basic at this point. Um, and some board members have had ideas about, you know, turning some of our old school buildings that we're not able to sell into recreation spaces for after-school programs for kids and having a partnership with the city to do that. And of course, that involves funding um, that the district says it, it doesn't have. And so it could look like that. It, it could just look like the mayor showing up at uh, district events. You know, that's that's something that I heard too, that, you know, this relationship has never formed because uh, we're fighting all the time. Sarah, thanks for your reporting. Of course. Thank you. We'll be back with one more story after another quick break. The Dollar Bank Three Rivers Arts Festival is June 4th through the 13th at Point State Park. If you can't make it in person, you can hear all the live music performances on WYEP. Tune in Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights at 7.30 during the festival to hear live broadcasts of the headliners, including Sun Little, Caroline Rose, Raylan Baxter, and more. The live broadcasts of the Dollar Bank Three Rivers Arts Festival on WYEP are sponsored in part by Dollar Bank. For a full schedule of performances, visit wyep.org festival. 
The state's unemployment system is back online this week after getting a major upgrade this month. The old system was plagued with problems for decades. But Pennsylvanians trying to apply for unemployment compensation through the new program are still struggling to get benefits. Spotlight PA's Rebecca Moss is here to talk more about what's going on. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to Explainer. Hi, thank you. First of all, just start by reminding us of what problems the new system was supposed to solve. Sure. So the state had said that it needed to modernize its unemployment system. It had a mainframe computer system hardware that was dating back to the 1960s and had been created by IBM. So when the pandemic hit, there was an influx of claims, and that caused a lot of delays, a lot of inaccessibility. People couldn't get through on the phone lines. It was taking a very long time for claims to get reviewed and processed. So serious communication issues and serious delays in cases getting reviewed and payments going through. Some of those problems were not related to the computer system itself, but the state had said that the new system would be faster, more intuitive, easier to use, and that would accelerate the whole process. But that's not what we've seen so far. So what issues with the new system have people been experiencing this week? Uh, They've had numerous issues, and they're quite uh, wide-ranging. We had a lot of people tell us about issues with the password, the new Keystone ID, which was actually something that advocates had raised as a potential problem weeks ago, and as one of the reasons they had thought the state should delay implementation now. So they had foreseen this being a problem, and indeed it is. Uh, Another issue that we've seen is old overpayments that had been on people's accounts but have long since been resolved are cropping back up, taking money that they're entitled to off of their payment, putting it into child support where it shouldn't go. Um, A lot of people are being locked out. They're being told that their logins, even when they have their Keystone ID, are incorrect. Um, People are being told that they're no longer eligible, even though they had been approved for eligibility last week and were getting payments. So there's numerous glitches that people are experiencing. How much of this is is due to the volume? I mean, the pandemic is not over. There's still an enormous number of people relying on unemployment, right? This is not necessarily a volume issue because this is really about how the software has migrated and is processing the information. There are still an enormous number of people who are reliant on unemployment, both federal and state benefits. And that's one of the other reasons that people had asked the state to delay implementation now. But what we seem to be seeing are truly software glitches. Some of the things are the number of people accessing the system are causing slowness, the state says, as well as this waiting room feature to launch. But the state had said that this would be faster. It had said they had hired enough people to answer phone lines and people are still not getting through. So a lot of the issues that have been persistent on the old system have not only not been resolved, but are now worse. Now, the Department of Labor and Industry has held a press conference daily since this launched. I mean, what are they saying in response to um, these criticisms? Initially, they said things are going smoothly. They're generally seeing this as a success. They mentioned that there had been a Keystone ID issue, but said it was only affecting a few people. They did mention that there had been a a couple glitches. And another issue that initially came up was the phone lines being down in the first hours that the system launched, but they said that wasn't related to the system itself, just an unfortunate coincidence. Um, so initially they were quite positive. Uh, yesterday they were positive again, but did say they were the first quote-unquote, to acknowledge problems as they arise and that they're addressing them as quickly as possible. 
But overall, the attitude has been more positive than the people we are talking to are experiencing. Rebecca, thanks so much for your reporting. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Pittsburgh Explainer is produced by Katie Blackley. Our editor is Lucy Perkins. Production help from Susan Scott Peterson. Thanks for listening. Let's talk next week. Thank you.